Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, boys and girls, we'd like to welcome you to one of the most spectacular pageants on Earth. The one, the only, Nethercast. Performing tonight is Razor and myself, Shad. Before I start this off, before we start this off, we'd like to give a special shout out to the fine crew at testyourmite.com, the primary and best source on the internet for all things Mortal Kombat. We also have a Discord and a Facebook group, us at the Nethercast. So feel free to join the Facebook group and check out our Discord group, which is located within the Facebook group. Well, there's a link there, and you can find us quite easily. So, I'm fucking this up. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Razor. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. You sound slightly different today to my ears. I have a new microphone. It makes a fuck ton of difference, let me say. That's what they tell me. No, seriously. <laughs> I'm on my end. I seriously thought that you were like BC the first time you you spoke tonight. I, I was concerned. That would be weird. But no, it's it's plainly you. I can tell now. <laughs> so we are we are here tonight to indulge in nostalgia, sadness. Nostalgic sadness. We were here to Nostalgic go. Nostalgic sadness. That we're... should be the name I... of the show. I can detect no lies. So we're here tonight to talk about Sonya Blade. That's that's true. That's very true. So, at what point did it all go to shit? Uh, I would say at multiple different points. And this is me opening the alcohol. It's really... Okay. So here's here's the problem with Sonya. Sonya has sort of a problem that other characters don't really have. Sonya's issue is that she's never evolved at all. Her character is literally the exact same in every game for the past 20 years. Yep. I kind of look at 25 this... years? It's... We're at 25 years now, aren't we? Something like that. Running on 30, and I think that her failure to evolve as a person, as a character, is down to two factors. Number one is being a member of the Special Forces, and number two is being tied to an arch-nemesis. And both of those things kind of feed into each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is kind of a problem that Kano keeps coming back. Like, as much as we love him because he has, like, a fun accent and everything, he's not really a built-to-last villain. He's the kind of guy that you'd catch and move on with your life. He's just a criminal. <laughs> he's a secondary villain, you know? In a typical three-season show, he's the guy that they get out of the way, end of the second, start of the third. He's absolutely not built to last, but I do love him. I've maintained before that I think it should be possible to separate the two of them and have them come back and just... Bring them in alternating games, or just separate them. Don't keep them tied together. The thing with Sonya is that she's very much an archetype. She's a specific kind of character, and that's really all they ever really had for her. She is the stick-up-their-ass character. Yeah. Just the person who's always just kind of angry and stubborn, standing in the background, pouting, because something is not to their liking. 
I think that MKX did a lot for her in that respect, and so did especially the MK10 comic book. We're gonna get there, but it's been a very long time in coming, and for whatever good MKX did for Johnny, it did the same for Sonya, I think. I, I would argue that it did a lot less of it for Sonya than it did for Johnny, and that it, she's still yeah. a problem. It gave her some moments, but it gives that's, her a launching sort board. Of, we, are, we are getting moments. There are a lot more of those moments in the comic. The thing is, the moments she gets in the comic are kind of negated by the game, because she sort of starts the game as though, like, all of that character development didn't happen anyway. Like, she seems to repeat the same lessons over and over. It's always, start out the story as a hard-ass, somebody gets them to soften up, and the next time they show up, they're a hard-ass yes. again, and someone has to get them to soften up again. It's like watching The Simpsons, you know? <laughs> it's the same thing every episode. It's like there's no continuity to her personality. Bart's always going to be ten years old. Sonya's always going to have a stick up her ass. Yeah. It's always going to be don't have a cow, man. It's, it's never going to grow beyond that. <laughs> it's kind of like MKX and the MKX comic were written completely separate from each other. Almost. It's almost, yeah. <laughs> but there we go, putting the cart before the horse. Right. Now, before. Let's, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> before people jump down our throats, because we're, we're probably going to come across as harsher on Sony than we have on a lot of characters. And I. That's, that's true. We've covered quite a few of uh, the ones we like more so far. And I want to I wanna get this out. I'm going to get this straight. I. Love Sonya. There are very few MK characters I actively despise and loathe. It's just that Sonya's not had a good time of it through the years. Now, going back to MK1, I kind of remember a time when she was one of the most prominent women in all of video gaming, and I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that. This is at a time before, before Tomb Raider. But people don't really realize now, like, comparison from now to when Tomb Raider was first a thing, Lara Croft was considered kind of this revolutionary character in gaming because, holy shit, she was a woman that could kick ass. And I think we were kind of maybe almost spoiled for that these days in comparison to what we had back then. Yeah. Back, back in the heyday of MK and Street Fighter, I would say that Sonya was second to Chun-Li in terms of most powerful and present females in the video gaming world i'd say i would say that at that time she was video gaming's number two lady and i'm not kind of like princess peach or zelda because they were just damsels to be to be rescued there was a time when sonia was just an amazing character to have because she, she was a strong you know kick-ass yeah, take no shit character but she never evolved beyond that take-no-shit yeah. character, and that's the problem. The 90s had a real um, lack of leading female action heroes. Yeah. It was definitely Chun-Li and Sonya. Pretty much. Yeah. There might have been other examples, but they're just not coming to my mind. Feel free to call in with some or write with some if you can think of them, but... Yeah, and and the thing is, like, I too, I don't hate Sonya. I don't hate any Mortal Kombat character. I don't even hate fucking Dairu. My thing is, what I hate is wasted potential. Yep. 
anybody can be fixed is my philosophy. Yeah, like, I've look... I've I've always maintained this. There is no such thing as a bad character. There's a character that's unfulfilled and until they have that right writer to put them in that situation or that story that comes to define them, they're just they're just waiting to be used. You know, people thought that Jason Todd was like a shit punisher, like second class character. He was just Punisher with a red jelly bean head. But as time's gone on, like the history of DC and the movie Under the Hood, and it's kind of proved that Judd Winnick did the right thing with that guy by bringing him back and making him into that angry Punisher light because he's gained a fan base and appreciation because of it. But I digress. There's always going to be a market for the Edgelord, though. <laughs> yeah, but Jason's had a bit more sense. Anyway. There, that is true. J- Jason's a fairly w- well-fleshed-out character. But that's not what we're here to talk about. So no. let's start with Sonya Blade, Mortal Kombat 1, 1992. All right. So a criminal, uh, a couple of ninjas, a martial arts action superstar, a Shaolin monk, and a really angry U.S. colonel with a stick up her ass get onto a boat. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk a little bit about how Sonya was created first, because she yes. has one of the more uh, interesting journeys behind the scenes. Because originally, Mortal Kombat One didn't have a female character on the roster. Their That's initial correct. plan was for Kano's uh, nemesis to be a uh, a black guy, uh, cop or military officer, who would be named Curtis Stryker. And and what happened was somebody basically went, hey, why don't we have a female character in this fucking sausage party? <laughs> Someone out there was smart. Right. <laughs> and and so John Tobias decided to take uh, the the proto strikers backstory and stick it on a design that was based on one of uh, his favorite 80s martial arts movie actresses, Cynthia Rothrock. Yeah, there's also obvious touches of, like, Sarah Connor in the Terminator movies, because Kano is based on the Terminator. Yes. In in terms of appearance, anyway. But, but yeah, apparently, like, Tobias is a big fan of Cynthia Rothrock, and that was a lot of the inspiration for Sonya. I'm gonna Google image this while you're elaborating more on this. Because I don't yeah, remember... But, I, mean, I, don't, I don't remember her name. I really don't. Yeah, I don't... I don't think... Cynthia Rothrock looks that much like Sonya physically. I think it, he just, that's where he sort of got the idea for that character. It's the same way that I'm sure, um, you know, you look at uh, how Scorpion and Sub Zero were developed, and it's pretty obvious, even if he doesn't say it out loud, that there's a lot of Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow in there. On top of, like, the obvious just 80s Ninsploitation movies. Like very specifically, their backstory. Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, huh? Or at least, or at least the backstory he was going to use that eventually became Sub Zero and the Cyber Ninjas instead mm-hmm. is definitely Snake Eyes. <laughs> I gotta find out what freaking issue of GI Joe that was. I don't know if they were. Th- was that eighty four? Maybe it's possible. It's it's actually very possible. Well, we all know how much Tobias said. Uh, gets his influence from comic books because he is a comic book artist and true 
there originally wasn't going to be a female character, and then somebody went, wait a minute. <laughs> and that's how he got Sonya. And uh, and then the, the idea of the military black guy eventually became Jax, and the name Curtis Stryker ended up on an MK3 character, obviously. We're still going to give ourselves there. a cop, because why not? We need some more <laughs> ideas. Got to flesh out that roster just a little bit. Yeah. Tobias did have a talent for coming up with very 90s-sounding names. Sonya Blade. Well, wasn't, Jax. uh... Well, the name's Sonya. Wasn't Sonya based on one of Ed's sisters? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the other thing. Sonya's first name comes from... Ed has at least... I don't know how many siblings he has, but I know for sure he has two sisters. One is named Sonya, and one is named Tanya. It's always really good to know that if we ever, like, start to run short on character names, Ed can I'll just go back into his genealogy and just... Hey, that's a good one. <laughs> you gotta be careful, though, because once you name a character after a me member of Ed's family, that character is going to keep showing up. <laughs> like, I would not have expected Tanya to be in as many games as she's in. <laughs> I'm not complaining. I think she was one of the better things MK4 did. No, I, I like Tanya, but... On the surface, she does seem very bland and forgettable, like most of the 3D characters that they keep not bringing back, even though those of us who are, like, hardcore fans would really like to see them again. Tanya is lucky she has a handicap in that her name means something to Ed. Yeah. <laughs> also, you know, she's big with the cami players. Yeah, that's true. So, I'm still trying to figure this one out a couple of decades later. <laughs> Why is she in gym clothes? Uh, well, it was the 90s, <laughs> and that was sort of the generic picture of an athletic woman. I, I guess, with, uh, right? Aerobic wear. I guess. At least that's what I think it is. There's not really a story behind it, I don't think. No. It just went, what would be comfortable to fight in? I don't know. Story-wise, what she's wearing is actually a Special Forces uniform. Like, if you look at the official comic book, she's wearing that outfit covered in utility and ammo belts. <laughs> and so, she just loses the guns and yeah. ammo when she gets to the tournament. You know what? If there's an actual story behind it, I'm down. Like, the thing is... I'm just slinging shit. John Tobias's U.S. Army Special Forces is not the real-world army. It's G.I. Joe. They are military it's... superheroes. They're wearing spandex outfits. I have to give them a bit more credit than that, because they don't have the entire original starting lineup of the village people as, as members. <laughs> that just means they haven't invited Stryker and Nightwolf to join. There's... Okay, Native American. Okay, so we're missing a sailor. <laughs> and huh yeah sailor and a biker wait <laughs> construction worker do we, have, do we have construction worker does does Nightwolf not cover both Native American and a biker it's gotta be different people <laughs> Nightwolf would look Fair really enough. amazing on a hog that's always been my favorite part of Nightwolf's costume the biker vest from MK3 with the wolf logo on the back <laughs> I miss that I have a thing about Sonya's costume where, like, yes, the fact that she's dressed like she's going to do jazzercise does seem silly now. But if I were doing the reboot, I would keep at least the tank top. Like, I'd have her fight in camo pants, but I'd keep the tank top because 
if you've ever watched any movie about like a guy who joins the army and you get to the boot camp part where they're doing laps and push-ups, everybody's wearing an olive green tank top. Like that's the standard undershirt. So like if you captured an army person and you made them compete in a sporting event, so they took their shirt off, what shirt would they have underneath? An olive green tank top. <laughs> no complaints for me there. Sonia having a tank top's kind of one of her ongoing tra- like traditions. I I don't think I'd take but, that away from her. But no, they didn't even think of that. They put her in a vest with no undershirt so they could show off more tits. <laughs> that is MK9, man. That is definitely a part of it, yes. Nobody uses their brain when they costume design. We should tackle those things as we come to them game by game. Because we, we should. Sonia is on like the crazy north-south bipolar scale of a good costume, shit costume, good costume, absolute she shit is. costume. She is. It really does just... It's just... Fucking seesaw back and forth. Drives me insane. There's no real middle ground. Ugh. So, I guess we should probably start this off by discussing um, her powers before we go into the ch- yeah game yeah. Sonia is a really fucking weird case when it comes to like special moves and fatalities. A lot of um, my take on this has is well go- going back to the earliest days of my fandom here is kind of colored by her depiction in the Malibu comics. Because when the Malibu comics would show her firing sonic rings at someone, or like a, a laser blast, it, it really appeared to be coming from her gauntlets, her her, her wrists, or whatever have you. Mm. So unlike Johnny and Liu Kang, who were plainly tossing a fireball, Sonya, also in the game, she she, she stands there and she, and she puts her fists forward, and rings just kind of form around there and they fly forward. So I've thought from kind of basically day one that Sonya's powers there were kind of tech-based and not so much chi-focused. Yeah, there's a... So there's a weird thing about that where, like, in the 3D era, they started, like, blatantly demonstrating that she's, like, tapping a thing on her wrist when she shoots. Yeah. But... In the 2D games, like, that wasn't there animation-wise. Like, in fact, in MK3, when she does the rings, her whole body glows pink before the rings come out. Hmm, that's true. And I have I have read a, um... There's an interview in one of the MK3 strategy guides or collector's books, one of those ones that has, like, Ed and John talk about every character. For the Sonya page, Tobias talks like she has psychokinetic powers. That's really the only time that ever comes up, because obviously once Tobias left, that wasn't a thing anymore. We know for a fact her rings are gauntlet power now. Like, she has these tech things on her wrists that shoot pink lasers. Like, especially in MKX, they just straight up show you, hey, there's these lens gun things we put them on there now. You can see them. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's probably just a, a detail that's been lost to the mists of time. Because I'm guessing yeah, that her but, depiction in the current games comes from people seeing it the way I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. Like the the accepted version is that the pink rings are a laser weapon she's wearing, but that doesn't really fix the square wave punch. Ah, yes, the square wave punch. (laughs) 
Okay, I don't know or, why, or the but the kiss of death. But I have, I have the, the kiss of death. About... The kiss of death deserves its own conversation. Yeah, the square wave punch though is fucking weird. <laughs> I've never claimed to understand the physics behind it. I mean, it makes no it's sense. Up there with Kano being able to hover in place when he does the cannonball, there, there's no explanation other than the character has the power to fly. Now, which obviously this... is not canon in the new timeline. They have taken away the square wave punch entirely and replaced it with a move where she handsprings and does a kick in an arc shape and then lands back on her feet. A lot more like real world physics-y. I mean, still not entirely feasible, but something a human could do. Yeah, <laughs> there's levels to this, though. I think that the cannonball that Kano's got is also something that Jarek's got, and I I started off as shit posting about this, but I'm now actually starting to think that it's some sort of black dragon technique, <laughs> and I'm not gonna. I I don't think I I want to investigate it further than that. I'm content to leave it be. If okay, Blo so... if Blocka can do it, why the hell not? Okay, here's. Here's my philosophy, because, like, Blanca's ball doesn't let him hover in place, though. Like, he can't actually just stop in midair. Like, yeah, Kano can stop in midair and spin forever until you let go of the button. Kano can <laughs> change directions in midair like a magic bullet, according That's to true. MK Trilogy. I have learned no, I have, to not question the physics about, of this. Like... So you look at Jarek, and you go, well, if he can do it, too, maybe it's a thing... But no, Jarek can shoot lasers out of his eyes for no reason, also. <laughs> Jarek is a magic man, and I'm not going to have you besmirching his name. Jarek, Jarek's moves are straight-up non-canon. That's my position. Jarek can do any fatality. Jarek is the shit. cannot actually shoot lasers out of his eyes or do a cannonball, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Those are non- Okay, to be, That's my position. To be very now, fair, Kano to be very fair to Jarek, he only ever showed up again in Armageddon, and what were the odds of giving everyone back what they used to have and what they used to have to work with? Raiden didn't even have his goddamn Superman. So I see no reason to think that Jarek can't fire laces out of his eyes like Kyle fucking L. <laughs> maybe, he's got, maybe he's got eye implants. Stupid no, eye implants. Okay I'm okay with it. Let's so, leave that for so Jarek. Here's, here's my argument. Here's we, my argument. Jesus, hang on a second, Razor. I just realized we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have an interesting Jarek retrospective. There's shit to talk <laughs> we about. May very well. There's there, there's actually a lot of shit to talk about. All right, let's and, go. And we can talk about this more during the Kano episode too. Yeah. But here's my position. So Kano, I can kind of excuse the cannonball because. He has more cybernetics in his body than just the eye. Like, there is stuff under the skin. There are okay. some kind of, like, augments that I am therefore willing to excuse him achieving <clears throat> things that seem impossible for a human being physically. Like, there's sort of a bionic thing going on with that guy. I don't think Jarek has that. So I just dismiss Jarek's moves. <laughs> Even we can talk about that more on the Kano episode. But with Sonya, with Square Wave Punch, I don't know what they were trying to say, but it's obviously not canon anymore. <laughs> the last game she had it was Mortal Kombat 4, I believe. I'm not sure. Was it in 4? It I might think have... it was in 4. It I'm might, it fairly might have... certain it did not come back for Armageddon. It did not. Because I know it wasn't in Deadly Alliance. 
No, we have not seen the square wave in traditional form in a very, very long time. And... I mean, you could argue that just air combat in general is kind of the same thing as a square wave punch. I do think that there's a divide there between the square wave and the cannonball. There's a clear reason they decided not to bring it back. It doesn't look right. Yeah, it's it's just visually silly. It is. And it and it it just raises too many questions. questions. <laughs> <laughs> you know what though? A part of me is disappointed because I mean when the fuck did Ryo's Hurricane Kicks ever make sense? Or Ken's? Or half the shit the Street Fighter characters do? I, yeah, but... I'm i not the biggest stickler for for At least physics, Street Fighter but... characters all are like, straight up, yo, we train in magic kung fu. Like, Sonya doesn't actually have that in her backstory. She doesn't have magic kung fu. Except, and we'll get into this now, I believe that the Kiss of Death represents the same thing her bicycle kick from MK3 represents. Once she got to the island, she started learning stuff from Liu Kang. Hmm. Okay. Before we get there, I just want to say that historically, the square wave punch has bothered me much less than Sub-Zero and Reptile Slide used to. Because that shit should have the power to do nothing but mildly inconvenience the side of your foot. <laughs> shit bothers me at least the speed at which the square wave punch goes it looks like it could hurt someone because her fist is extended I think I'm more willing to forgive the slide in retrospect because of the 3D era adding like graphics to it ice like, behind them Sub-Zero is sliding on ice Reptile is sliding on a trail of slime now those moves make sense <laughs> The speed bothers me. It's just... Yeah, yeah, they are kind of... Especially, like, in MK1 and 2. Like, they did look weak. <laughs> and they did not do a lot of damage. They were there to just trip the guy for positioning. That's true. But, I'm just saying, you gotta close your eyes to some shit, and I've been doing that with the slide for a long time. And it disappoints that the square wave is not back, although I understand why it is. So I feel like there is, like, room for, like, an homage to the square wave, where in a cutscene, she jumps off a wall to punch someone out of the air. I would like to see some, like, something cheeky like that, that, like, humanizes it. Sort of like in the Street Fighter II animated movie, when Chun-Li is fighting Vega, she does the spinning bird kick with her hands on the yeah. ground instead of just sort of floating in the air. And it looked so much better for it. Yeah. And I'll, I will say, before we move on to Kiss of Death, I appreciate that they gave it to Katana and fleshed it out in 10. Yeah, yeah, like in 9 and 10, Propel Katana has it. Propel herself with the fan. Her, it like, makes more do sense. It with the air magic of her fans and, like, slant body checks, like... She hits you with her ass, it looks like, but... <laughs> That in itself bugs me, but again, front of the time. I mean, if, you, if she's got to use her hands to work the fans, I mean, she could put her shoulder into it more. It doesn't have to be her butt like fucking Peach in Smash Brothers. Make but... it her elbow, I don't know. The butt just yeah. bugs me. But still, like, physics-wise, they've added the special effect necessary to make the move not look stupid. <laughs> Completely, anyway. 
So the kiss of death. You think that's the something Lou taught her? Right, because it's fire and he throws fire. So that's my that's sort of my rationalization is he taught her how to manifest a little bit of chi. Because like the whole thing with like Sonya story wise is that she's supposed to be and this this is like in the movie, but it's also something that predates the movie because if you look at like John Tobias's notes from behind the scenes when he was designing every character he was picking like classical archetypes like Liu Kang is the protagonist Johnny Kidkick Raiden is the mentor and Sonya had this specific archetype she was the skeptic where she's like the character who is the most like from the normal world and doesn't understand the supernatural stuff and has to have it explained to them. I think she's always had a bit of Dana Scully in her DNA. Yeah. So like the so like the whole thing where Sonya has special moves is especially weird in that respect. Because Which, if she's the character yeah. who hasn't encountered magic before and doesn't believe in it, why is she doing magic? <laughs> All the more reason to give her tech powers. Right. But you get to the kiss of death, which is a fatality, and, like, the thing about fatalities is that they are harder to place in canon than regular special moves are. Particularly this one. Right, because, well, for one thing, you look at a guy like Kung Lao, and all of his fatalities revolve around, like, sadistically chopping a person to pieces. But then Kung Lao is kind of like a, a nice guy monk. <laughs> Who is supposed to have been like about pacifism and stuff? So and the last two like... games in this fucking series have had him forcing people who plainly have no wish to be sliced to ribbons face first onto a hat or groin <laughs> yeah, first. He's always like, he's always slowly lowering you onto a buzzsaw. Now <laughs> he could he could easily kick you into it before you knew what happened, but he's got to make you work for it. He's got to make it's you always, struggle. It's always the slow, drawn-out death from this fucking pacifist monk. <laughs> I can't wait for the Kung Lao retrospective. Fucking asshole. So, so obviously, like, the thing with fatalities, and even more so with the cartoonish MK3 ones, where it's like, there's no way that's actually canon. But, but some of them, like, before and after MK3, the ones that aren't cartoonish, those are things that the character maybe can actually do. They just wouldn't. Because <laughs> there's no reason Kung Lao can't chop you up with a hat. It's just he's obviously not in story mode he's do not it. doing it. <laughs> there have just been so many variations on the Kiss of Death. and Yeah. Coming That's from Sony, like, she's got... Just... There's the weird kiss of death in 3 where she makes an electric pink bubble that crushes you. <laughs> you kind of, like, implode in a way. There are pieces of you left, and, like, you can see the character ducking down for, for a split second. It's either you're being yeah. crushed or you're imploded, and, the, and the, the sound effect is weird. It's, it's very odd. And it's, I've also it's felt like it's... it makes a force field around you, and then the force field contracts. Yeah, and something just like that. squishes you. And in MK4... It was just this straight glowing orb that sliced you in half at the waist. Yeah, it was... It it looked the same as the original MK1 one, where it was like a ball of fire. And it did like a loop-de-loop -loop as it floated towards you. But then there's a slice sound effect and your torso comes off instead of you bursting into flame. 
I think those cover her variations. Katana's had a few of her own. Yeah. Katana's I attribute like, to magic for whatever fucking Katana's reason. are all fairly the same theme. She puts her lips on you physically, and then you stretch out or blow up, so your body contorts. No one really do like but they do in that Sonya's always shooting some kind of energy out of her palm that does a weird different thing in every game. <laughs> and she's got the starting in Deadly Alliance, it becomes yeah. this kind of mist that incapacitates you, makes you cough a yeah, little bit. Yeah, it became and... like, first of all, she had the mist as a special move. It's like she just carries this powder around to blow in people's eyes. Yeah. But then she does it in her fatality, and it's like a poison that makes you start throwing up to death, and then she stomps on your head. I think that there, you see the influence of the MK Annihilation interpretation of it, where just a bunch of yeah, chemicals where, and Yeah, where she just picked up a handful of flammable sand. <laughs> Something like that. So, I do tend to look at these things as being tech-based, delivered in an awkward kiss or yeah. oxygen-propelled form. The fact that it's different every game makes me think several versions of that kiss of death are not canon. Mm. I I don't I don't know if I could put them in like outside the realm of canon, but since so many of them seem to involve this purple colored energy, which is also inherent in her sonic rays. Well, there is like she does also use like the purple mist yeah. in uh, the reboot. Like it's the start of her X-ray in MK9. Yeah. They're trying to so, keep to a theme of some kind. Yeah. It's just a quick... Like, for me, it's like if I was writing it and trying to make it make sense, then I would say, okay, Sonya got to the island. She's she's stuck in the tournament. She has no choice but to, She's just a regular person, and all of these assholes have powers. What the fuck is she going to do? And, and you know, Raiden and Liu Kang are going to come up and they're going to be like, well, you're one of the Chosen Ones too. You're one of Earth's best fighters, otherwise you wouldn't be here. J join the team and we'll help you out. So I would think Liu would give her some pointers. And I think, like, I think Tobias at least partially intended that to be canon because she has a fucking bike kick. There's <laughs> That can only mean the one thing, like... She picked something up from him, definitely. It's... Liu Kang and Liu Kang accessories. <laughs> <laughs> For my part, I'm content with looking at the various kisses as... In this thief compartment, she's got, like, the, the combustible napalm. Here, she's got the powder. I mean, she's already carrying around, like, controls for drones and grenades. There are, there are tech possibilities. She comes prepared. That sort, of, that sort of reminds me, there is a cool thing Cassie does in X in her x-ray where she pulls out like a, a little can of like mace or hairspray and a lighter yes and that's how she does her little kiss of death <laughs> bit <laughs> ah take it after mommy <laughs> i mean on there's the been so much variation of, over the years yeah on the subject of learning slash stealing things from Liu kang she does steal the dragon kick in deadly alliance Deadly Alliance was the game where we were, like, doing things to honor the fallen hero that was Liu Kang. It was, yeah. it was also the game where people were losing moves for no reason <laughs> because they were trying to be Tekken. Like, you've got Raiden doing a shoulder check instead of the body tackle. And Sub-Zero also doing a shoulder check instead of his <laughs> instead slide. Instead of the slide. Yeah. Meanwhile, Frost had it because it was a move that was considered amateur hour. <laughs> I like the notion of Kwai Liang going, you know what? No, that was fun. 
I'm bringing it back. Clenches fist, ice shatters. So. I, I do like the idea of him going, I have grown beyond this move, it's yours now. That's the, that's the fucking rookie move, that's... The slide is for scrubs. Real men hit people with their upper body. <laughs> 2.38 a.m. Grandmaster's Chambers. <laughs> what are you doing? N nothing. So that's Sonya's powers in a nutshell, I think. Yeah. Are you missing anything else? I suppose actually, uh... yes. Here's a good time before we forget to go over the series of stupid weapons she's been given. Yes. Because... <laughs> the MK4 pinwheel. Oh, I wanted to introduce the pinwheel. No fair. <laughs> you get to play with a pinwheel. Sony gets to play with a pinwheel. I don't get to play with a pinwheel. It's a fucking pinwheel. Why, Who's though? The was a pinwheel. <laughs> okay, but why, though? I don't understand. It's metal, right? I remember it being metal. Yeah, no, it's it's bladed. It's it's four blades on a stick that spins under mechanical power. <laughs> this clearly comes from the same place of workshop as Jax's metal arms. <laughs> I, I don't know. It was like we've got things lying around, let's just take out the battlefield, do some field testing while we're there. I like to think it broke during MK4 and no one bothered retrieving it. <laughs> I just, I just, I wanna, I wanna be there for the dev team meeting where they came up with it. <laughs> See, I remember it had this really cool attack, like she thrust it forward into your stomach and it would make you bleed a little bit. That was nice. Doesn't change the fact it's still a stupid as fuck weapon. I'm trying to remember, so in MK4, the thing was, in their alternate costumes, they actually had different weapons too. Like... They did, yeah. But Raiden I couldn't tell you what Sonya's was. had the hammer in his primary, but in his ult he got the staff. Kai also had the staff in one of his ults because of his ending. Um, Johnny has the gun. <laughs> I think Sector also has a gun. He does. <laughs> so, so officially they called the pinwheel a wind blade. <laughs> officially. Officially. A wind blade. That's a stretch. They they tried, I guess. <sighs> okay, wait. I found it. I found. Oh, it. Oh, you did. Yeah. Uh. So. Right, so her alt in is one. Her first two costumes, she uses the pinwheel. And then. In costume three, she uses Kai's dagger. That was it. You know the the kukri the curved thing. Because that fits her, sure, why not? And in her fourth outfit, she wielded a big mace. You know, Reiko's weapon? <laughs> I think Jax had that too. Yeah, Jax and Reiko both had the big stone club with the spikes, the mace. Because that's special forces standard. Man, those motherfuckers needed funding. You know oh, wait, what? No, no, the, uh, the spiked club and the mace are two different weapons. Quan Chi had the mace. Okay. It was, it was a, a ball on a stick. The spikes. So she, so she, so she had a ball on a stick. Yeah. Still and these sticking are the with four this. things they thought of when they thought of Sonya. <laughs> you know how like Jax went up to his superiors and go and went, "The Outworld invasion is coming. You've got to help us." And they're like, "We don't believe you." You think they cut their funding? 
Is that what's happening here? Uh, we have actually, to. We like, have to fight the Shinnok guy. What have we got? Uh, so we've got a mace the, and a pinwheel. It's a windblade. Big nuclear portal. You know the big nuclear powered portal they built ate up like I'm sure all of the budget. <laughs> <laughs> How did it take them this long to get it right? <laughs> Callie sticks in, in Deadly Alliance. Did they get it right? Because in Deadly Alliance, she uses a pair of fucking wooden sticks. It's been a decade since then, man. They got it right in MKX. I, she doesn't... Okay, so she switched... She doesn't really use a conventional weapon, but she does have Garrett wire and a drone. <laughs> I, this, I believe in. This is Black Ops stuff. This is... This yeah. is equipment that actually suits what she does, what she's doing, the type of things. It is, it the, is the acceptable work she's flavor for the special forces character. Yes, it actually kind of fits. I do <laughs> like the fact that she uses the the Garrett wire as part of a counter maneuver. They I definitely mean, they really nailed just what she should have given be her using. a shotgun if they were looking for weapons. <laughs> you know, like she has in the movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, outside of that, like, one scene in the nightclub, I really do see her as more of a pistol wielder. I don't know. Sure. sure. I can see her with a pistol. I think I think the thing is... Sonya's not a hand-to-hand -hand weapon person. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. Like, if I was gonna give her anything, I might give her one of those, like, extendo batons. Quasi-nightsticks. Yeah. But Stryker's already kind of got that in the bag. Yeah, like Stryker's nightstick guy. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so we've established Sonya's got a history of stupid weapons here. Although that didn't stop them from giving Jax Tonfas in Deadly Alliance. <laughs> Which, to his credit, I thought at the time, was not a bad choice. Superfluous because of the fucking metal arms. Yeah, right? But it was something that I could see a special forces member he was you know what i would have given jack i would have given sonya the billy clubs yeah since striker wasn't in that game and then i would have given jack's blades that come out of the arms like his mk3 fatality except not silly looking because baraka also not in deadly alliance <laughs> ptsd flashbacks to the malibu baraka cutting him up at the armpits <laughs> yeah, now what? <laughs> I used to like really hope that was the actual canon of it, that, that he actually implanted the capability to mold his arms into blades to, to, as <laughs> yeah. a way to take revenge on Baraka who'd fucked him up and cut off his arms or met, or mangled his arms or something. I um, do I do like that they gave him a finisher where his arms literally transform like the T1000 but canon is that he still has his real arms inside those. <laughs> I've always known this, and I've chosen never to question it. It's just a thing. Let the power uh, to grow. Okay, no, I question the growth all the time, but we'll get there. It's, it was MK3. None of that counts. <laughs> it was 1990. It was 1995. It was a more innocent time. No, it, it was, wasn't, because at the time, I thought that was fucking retarded. Okay, but we all did. We all did. None of us... No. Didn't think it was there, retarded. There, there, there was never a time when is... we as kids thought Jack's growing and stepping on you was cool. It was always stupid. Yes, there was there was never a point when ten year old anyone liked the finishers in MK3. 
Just Unless they like them for the comedy because they have a troll side to their personality. <laughs> there are people like that. But the thing about the MK3 finishers is that it was just Ed and John getting carried away with the concept of the friendship in Babality. Like, the whole thing was MK1 came out and, you know, you had the fucking parents going, Ugh, violence for children, and then you had the rating system invented. Yes, RB, baby. And so with MK2, you got dark series finishers again, but then you also got some making fun of that with the friendship in the Babality. You get to MK3, and they were way more into the making fun than they were into the, like, gory stuff at that point. Just a lot of factors coming together yeah. to make everyone's life hell. And of course they realized they'd gone too far and in future games fatalities were back to normal, but we do have to live with always justifying why did Jax grow into a giant? <laughs> there is no right answer about some things. Some things are just wrong. It's amazing. We have to When you have a series that's going too far that's constructed from the ground up on bones and blood and gore and guts it's going too far when you have you know people turning into babies and shit and being cute <laughs> so i guess now we can start at the beginning yeah so the thing that's interesting to me about sonya is that when we talk about MK1 Sonya, what next to talk about? <laughs> because, like I said, she's just kind of the same character in every game. She's always reliving That's... the fucking Gotta Catch Kano arc. <laughs> it's the problem. And if she's not reliving the Gotta Catch Kano arc, she's reliving the other half, which is hang out with Johnny and Raiden, but be a dick to them. <laughs> As I recall it, the entirety of her MK1 story is chases Kano, inadvertently winds up on the boat, her friends are held hostage. Now, she wants Kano for killing her partner, right? Not her fiancé. That, those, that is those, those two things, thing because... Those two things are often conflated, mixed up, or... Yeah. So, so, the thing about the partner issue is that there are many different conflicting reports on that story. If you go strictly by what's in, like, the games and the official comics, they don't actually mention a dead partner at all. It just seems like Sonya's just doing her job. She's just Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive. Like, the only reason she's so doggedly in pursuit of Kano seems to be that she takes her job super seriously, and it's not actually personal for her. It's personal for him because he doesn't like being hunted so much. And he's just the kind of guy to hold a grudge, but... But then, like, there's all these, like, ancillary sources, like... Malibu and trading cards and strategy guides and like the CD-ROM thing and these like booklets that were written by third parties and you're never like every single one of those mentions a dead partner or dead fiance presumably her partner was her fiance <laughs> 
it might not have been partner in the military sense of the term. It might have been life partner. Because who well, the fuck knows? I'm I'm inclined to think it was military partner just because the guy died on a Kano hunting mission. Yeah. Seems to be the consistent story. Maybe she knew a dude in the military, and they were together. Whatever whatever the case may be, here's here's what I do know. What I do know is a few things about what John Tobias had planned for Special Forces before he left and all the Sonya material was cut. So, originally Special Forces was supposed to begin with Kano still had both his eyes, the Black Dragon had stolen a nuclear weapon, and that's why the Special Forces were after them. And the first part of the game is a mission where Sonya and a team of hers are, like, in a gunfight with Kano and the Black Dragons in, like, a warehouse. And they're, like... Like, I've seen screenshots of, like, the unfinished graphics, and it's, like, Sonya and her team are, like, in combat gear with, like, helmets and stuff, and they're, like, pinned behind crates, like, firing automatic weapons back and forth. And, like... That scene, we see Sonya's partner get shot. And huh. Sonya gets captured. And then there's another cutscene where they talk, where it's like Kano and Pre Burns Cabal and another Black Dragon guy talking about like how they've been interrogating Sonya to try and find out stuff about the special forces. And all wants to like. He wants out, he thinks that they've gone too far by stealing a nuke and there's too much heat on them, and then Kano's like, you're going soft, mate. And it's sort of to set up Cabal turning good in MK3. And apparently what was supposed to happen next was Sonya was supposed to free herself, like, get out of captivity, and as she's making her escape, she was gonna shoot Kano in the face, and that would be how he lost his eye. Obviously none of this is the game that got made. And there's now a completely different story in canon for how Kano lost his eye, which is that at some point during a conflict between the Black Dragon and the Special Forces, Jack's basically caved in part of his skull with a punch. <laughs> I'm okay with that. So that's Yeah, which is why he's not just missing an eye. The plate takes up half his forehead, too. <laughs> and still the man somehow needs metal arms. <laughs> yeah. Because this is, this is before the metal arms. This is way before. Yeah, that. presumably. Jax, the strongest man in the world. <laughs> I mean, that was always Jax's thing. Like, that, that was part of his bio. I'm, I, I'm not shit talking. Yeah, he was the strongest man in the world, quote unquote. That was his deal. He was like, and he proves it, etc. One et cetera. of those. Like, in his off time, like, when he's on leave from the military, he competes in that strongman competition where they, like, pull a bus and shit. <laughs> All this and he's, he's a farmer, he's, too. How does he find the time? He's, he's won that title the way Mark Henry has. <laughs> but, yeah, like, so the thing with Sonya and the partner is that, like, there's so no, like... It's apocryphal that they were canon that going to it. make happen. It's just that every single other thing says it, you yeah. know? <laughs> and it's like, how can they all be in agreement on this one point unless Tobias actually did come up with it and told them all this is what the story is, and it's just that he himself never had room to type it into the game. 
so it's apocrypha that's very nearly probably canon but just doesn't get brought up anymore yeah well it's it's not canon in the new timeline and we'll get to that yeah because like kano's whole story between him and sonia is different in the new timeline but like in the old i'm i'm like 80 percent sure that the dead partner is supposed to be a thing it's just not canon canon you know <laughs> it's, it's not confirmed but it's very very likely it's on the level of like tremor was supposed to be part of the lin kuei kind of thing yeah so like so like from there it's pretty much what's in the comic you know kano so here's the interesting thing to me is that Shang Tsung has to invite the world's best fighters to the tournament. And because Sonya is the kind of person who would not give a shit about an invitation to a sporting event, he has to trick her into going. So he invites Kano specifically to lure Sonya, which makes me think maybe Kano isn't one of the strongest fighters. Like, Kano's not supposed to be there, he's just there as bait for Sonya. That's pretty much the exact direction that the MK1 movie took it. Yeah. When, like, Kano's talking to Shang, he's like, she took the bait right on time, da-da-da-da, I love punctuality, and a woman don't use Shang Tsung, and, you know. <laughs> and now you don't touch her. Because you know, he's, he's got designs on her in the movie version of things. Yeah, I mean, in the in so, the movie version, it's a sleazy lust thing. But in the game, it's not that. Like, here's... So people often ask me, Hey, why did Shang invite the strongest fighters? Like, why is he inviting real competition and not jobbers? And my answer to that is twofold. First of all, he actually has to. Like, It's in the rules. Part of, yeah, that's in the rules. Like, he can't not do that part. Because the Elder Gods, that's what they if, want. Like, if, if he brought, like, I don't know, the, the 1994 Denver Broncos and, like, six white-collar workers, Raiden would be like, Mom, Dad, Shanks cheating. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what would happen. But but the other thing is, Shang wouldn't cheat on that part even if he wanted to, because Shang here's what Shang gets out of being the Grand Master. Everybody who dies the tournament is their souls. Exactly. Shang and he wants, wants strong the strongest people. souls he can get because it means more power for him. Better better fighting techniques he learns. More more special moves for him to copy. Like, Stronger Souls probably even makes him age less. Maybe they taste better, too. It's possible. <laughs> if you're going to be eating people's souls, you want something good. Bottom line. So yeah, like, Shang wants the best so that he can fucking eat them. <laughs> That's about it. And also, like, if you didn't invite the best, then once the invasion started... Those guys are going to fight Shao Kahn anyway. So, like, you, wa you want to wipe out the competition early. Because, <laughs> like, once the tournament's over, if Outworld wins, there's an invasion. And people are still going to fight against you in the invasion. Like, it's not over just because the tournament's over. It just means we get to MK3 sooner if Outworld had won. <laughs> so the TLDR version is rules, and because that's the way it has to be. Yeah. So, so Shang wants slash needs Sonya to be there. 
I'm sure that even if then, he hadn't been able to get her there, Raiden probably would have yeah. dragged her along by other means. But yeah, like, the other thing that's interesting to me is that, like... So, she sees Sonya, or she sees Kano jump on the boat, and she and her team of soldiers get their own little speedboat, and they tail the nether ship to the island. And then as soon as they're on the island, they're trespassing on his sovereign territory, and he arrests them and throws them in the dungeon. Shang does. And Shang is like, Sonya Blade, you have to fight in the tournament. If you win, I'll let your dudes go. If you lose, I'm going to execute them all. So there's your incentive to fight. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, we never see or hear from her soldiers ever again. And we know she didn't win the tournament. So those guys were definitely executed. I'm guessing there was some bullshit behind the scenes where it's like, well, you have to win every fight. You're a part of the second you lose. I'm eating them. <laughs> and the tournament schedule was, uh, I mean, she, she, she had to have lost at some point, you know? I mean, the, I don't, I don't the think. The seven of them were supposed to, well, I don't know if you, if you want to count Raiden as being there or not. Barring Raiden, the six of them were supposed to be the last people who survived the tournament. There were theoretically others there. If, if you want to like count Nightwolf and whoever else was there from MK9's well, retelling, so... sure, why not? But I assume that at some point Sonya had a match and she lost. I mean, that's that's the most straightforward version, is just, like, Nightwolf probably wasn't there in the old timeline. Like, all of those guys who MK9 added no, weren't probably there not. in the old timeline. But it was one of the things that I saw just... and I didn't have much of a problem with, that's all. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem with him being there. It's just that fact-wise, we know he wasn't, because MK2 does say only seven people survived. Yeah. And Implying so that everyone else who was there from Earth is, was killed. All of those people did lose matches. They just didn't get finished. No. Like, Liu Kang, there was a real bracket. Liu Kang made it to the end fair and square, beat Goro, fought Shang Tsung. That's, that's the way I have always interpreted the story of MK1. I don't think there was any, like, weird bracket shenanigans like we see in MK9. I do kind of wonder about the endurance mode, or I, 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 who knows. MK9 seemed to imply that that was actually a thing between Shang and Scorpion, or Quan and Scorpion. I, yeah, I never really I thought mean, to like take it as... Was only... I never like thought to take it at face value, or, or, or assume anything more than maybe Shang was summoning doppelgangers or some shit. Yeah, I mean, because the endurance rounds happen at the same time in the same, like, part of the ladder as the mirror match. So I just assume supernatural shenanigans. It's sort of like, if you remember at the end of the movie, when they get to the tower, like, after Lou fights Reptile, Kitana spouts some bullshit about how in order to defeat Shang Tsung, you first have to face yourself, your enemy, and your worst fear. Yep. And these are all, like, forms that Shang's sorcery takes... Or something. Yeah, so I just assume that there is, like, before the Goro fight, Liu Kang has actually gotten to the end of the bracket, and now Shang is throwing some, like, trickery at him. Pretty much. But that that would be after, like, characters like Sonya had already been eliminated fair and square. On uh, <clears throat> on the topic of mirror matches, it actually is worth mentioning here at this point that um, 
Sonya is, to my knowledge, the only person in all of fiction that's ever had a real mirror match depicted in canon, any kind of canon, and that was in the Malibu comics, and her name was... Yes. And her name was Anos. Yes. Because that's Sonya, Sonya backwards. backwards. So if I remember right, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while since I've read Malibu. Yeah. Wasn't the explanation for Anos that Outworld is actually an alternate reality of Earth, and there are versions of everybody? It was something along the lines of that, yes. She was the leader she was leader of a tribe of her own. And yeah. that plot point was never brought up ever again. Yeah, it never comes up except for alternate Sonya. But apparently Malibu was playing with the idea that Outworld is an alternate Earth, and so there would be twisted Outworld history versions of like all the characters. And that's what a mirror match actually is. You're Quiet. fighting alternate you who lived a different life because they grew up in Outworld. Quietly dropped. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that one in there for trivia's sake. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to talk about that too because I do find it kind of interesting as an idea. Unfortunate name, though. Very unfortunate. Yes, very unfortunate name. So, MK1. I think... Going from MK1 into MK2, we start to see the start of something. And I think the way we look at Kano and Sonya particularly has been kind of influenced throughout the ages by the fact that they were... Because they were excluded from MK2, for the specific explicit reason that they were statistically the two least chosen people. Yes, they for... were according... Like, I'm sure the only arcades they checked were the ones in Chicago. Probably. But, in Chicago, Sonya and Kano were the two least popular characters in the arcades. And that's why they were left out of MK2. Yeah. But what's interesting is, like, I've always wondered, do you think they got Elizabeth Malecki back to record the Struggling in Chains in Khan's Arena animation? No, I've never thought that was the case. I think that they did some fuckery with some sprites. The movements don't look natural. You're probably right, because I always wondered about that, because it does look a little weird, but it also, it does look like her. I think that they just worked with what they had from the first uh, round of motion captures. It's definitely her. It's probably the case. They might have had Richard Divizio on hand and just put the Kano costume back on Yeah, because the thing is, him. Divizio also played Baraka, so he was still yeah, there. exactly. But Sonya's movements are very specifically stilted. She twitches her head a little bit and, like, moves her arms back and forth. And yeah, she's she in the, just, she's in she this, just like, keeps odd... looking sideways. <laughs> yeah. So I think that they did what they could with what they had in her case. Mm. So going back to this, but... I kind of think that that was the start of people kind of looking on Kano and Sonya as maybe characters who weren't quite as good as everyone around them. Now, well, well, I think it's very much like a story thing, because, like, once you start talking about how the fate of the world is at stake, cops and robbers becomes fucking small potatoes. They've always been at odds with everything else happening around them. The Special Forces versus the Black Dragon has always been not a bad story in and of itself, but just by needs be much less interesting than mystical Shaolin monks with razor-bladed hats or undead ninjas, wraiths, specters. Yeah. 
souls-killing sorcerers. It's very mundane in comparison to what's going on around them. I think that what what happens is, like... Because MK2 is sort of as mystical as it gets for a while in the series. MK3 goes all urban, and suddenly, like, Sonya Jackson Kano become more relevant in that game. Yep. And then that's sort of the last time. Because none of the other games are as modern and urban and, like, earth realmy as MK3 was. And so, Sonya and Kano are sort of okay for a time, it's just that their relevance drops off the more the games are about magic stuff. And, and this was a big problem with how the Special Forces being so important to so many of the characters was perceived in MKX, because it's like there's no reason for it because MKX is mostly magic shit. <laughs> and it just becomes like, why why do we need to be told about how much a part of the special forces fucking Takeda and Kung Jin are? <laughs> no, I have always maintained that if they were all under the wreath of the Shaolin monks and... Yeah, like, if it was driven by them... More... If it was a little more White Lotus driven, and if it was a little more balanced in membership, like I, I keep saying Frost should have been on the team, then it would have been only two military characters, maybe two and a half if you count Takeda, and three magic characters. Yeah. As it is, they put everyone under the blanket of the least popular factions that probably did the combat kids no favors. Yeah. But, so the thing, the thing about... Uh, Sonya's jump to MK2 is I mean no matter how you look at it it is taking like the strong action heroine damsel in distress but there's there's like a, a way to do it where it's less tasteless there was a little bit of this going right back to the MK1 comic where like yeah. Shang had her with the backs of her arms yeah, I mean, I mean, she was she was captured as it was, but at least like she was like allowed to fight for her freedom, you know? Yeah. Like she still had her own agency, whereas in MK2, it's just straight up Jackson, maybe Johnny Cage, are coming to rescue. the th The difference for me is that like between the MK2 version of that story and the Sheldon Monks slash New Timeline version. Because it's all about, like, how she got captured in this uh, specific instance. Because in the MK2 comic, what happened was... They are all fighting Goro. Well, Johnny, yeah, yeah. Johnny her, and it Kane was... were fighting Goro on top of the bridge after everything's blown up. Yeah, it's and... like it's like the opening cutscene of Shaolin Monks shows you. That's actually kind of true to canon. Once Liu Kang beat Goro, Shang lost his shit and just sicked his warriors on everybody. Yeah. And Liu had to be like he had to like get through all of that shit before he could fight Shang. And it's like his friends are holding them off and making a path for him to go fight Shang. And like so so Goro comes back out of Goro's lair and he's like super pissed off and he just starts swinging at the first people who are there. And it happens to be 
Sonya, Johnny, and Kano. And that's interesting because it means like for a brief moment, Sonya and Kano had to like put their grudge aside and fight together if they didn't want to die. <laughs> right, uh, it's also mentioned that uh, Sub and Scorpion were helping to hold everyone off for a little while. and Yeah, and, th- and Rain... then they just turned on each other because Scorpion was like, I never got my vengeance yet. I got to get my vengeance before I leave. Raiden's literally flying with Johnny. He's like, oh yeah, by the way, uh, Scorpion turned around, killed Sub-Zero, then turned to ashes. That's life. Enjoy, the, yeah. enjoy the Pacific. It's bloosh. Yeah, so it's like, while while Liu Kang is fighting Shang Tsung, Johnny, Sonya, and Kano are fighting Goro, and the fight, like, goes out of control, and they end up all the way out of the palace and on the fucking pit. And at this point, Liu Kang beats Shang, and Shang is lying, fuck you, I'm gonna fucking cause an earthquake, I'm gonna destroy my island. So, like, the pit starts collapsing. And Goro and Kano and Sonya all fall in. Johnny almost falls in too, but Raiden shows up in time to catch him. And that's, like, you don't see them hit the bottom of the pit. They just sort of disappear into the smoke. Because it's, like, all smoke and rubble. The island's coming down. And the next time we see them, they're in Outworld. Because the whole thing with Shang's Island is that it's half an Earth, half an Outworld. So when he makes it collapse, he's not really destroying it. He's just kind of sending it back to Outworld. Or if we go by Shaolin Monk's logic, they beat him. And then because he's not there to hold everything together, it's just discorporating or what have you. Anyways, one assumes that like Goro just kind of took Kano and Sony under an arm each and just walked off. <laughs> well, the, the Shaolin Monk's version <clears throat> is that... After Lu beats Shang, and Shang casts the spell that makes the earthquake, he opens a portal and all the bad guys dive in, and we see them run away. Even Kano and Scorpion go to Outworld for no reason. <laughs> I'm saying for no reason a lot this episode. <laughs> this is the third time. It's very... It's odd. I've chosen not to say anything, but hey, why not? Well, so I, I always say raisin instead of reason, just because... I enjoy it like it's a reference to Futurama. <laughs> and I think it emphasizes how silly it is when there's not a reason. Because it's not just that they did it for no reason, it's that they did it for no reason! <laughs> Ow, my ears. Please don't do that again. <laughs> but yeah, my point here is that, like, everybody just kind of dives into Outworld, even Scorpion. <laughs> yes. But and Sonya. Then, and then, like, all the good guys, like, escape successfully and go home and have a party at Lou's place. And during the party, the Tarkatans attack, and in the Shaolin Monk's version, Baraka grabs Sonya by the foot and slams her into a wall so hard that the wall becomes covered in blood-red jelly. <laughs> in the Shaolin Monk's verse, this is tantamount to a minor scrape. <laughs> and then he just puts her over his shoulder and escapes to Outworld. And it's basically deliberately taking a hostage so that the good guys will accept the challenge to the second tournament. That monk was probably fine. And and we don't see it happen in MK9, but we're told that the same thing happens. Because they wanted to save money on cutscenes, so they had Jax get knocked out and wake up to exposition. <laughs> 
but yeah, in in the Shaolin monks and new timeline version, it's that Sonya m- made it off the island, went to Lou's party, and Baraka kidnapped her on purpose. Whereas in the original version of the story, it was that she was caught in the island collapse and transported to Outworld. Outworlders found her and took her hostage for Shao Kahn. And this was actually, like, kind of an important plot element, not just because it, like, made Sonya look less like a kidnapping victim, but because it actually, like, filled in part of Goro's story. Because the whole thing with Goro in the old timeline was that after he lost in MK1 he decided to fake his death and just drop off the grid because he was so ashamed of losing. And he didn't come come out of hiding until MK4. And so, like, the fact that... The fact that the Outworlders found Sonya and Kano but didn't find Goro was the reason they believed Goro was dead. And, And you don't get that if it's just... Baraka knocking Sonya out and slinging her over his shoulder and running away. <laughs> right. So back to Sonya herself. I've always kind of maintained that, yes, the fact that her and Kana were chosen least out of everyone else kind of had this mark on them going forward. They were seen as lesser characters. And I think that making her and Jax this kind of united front and having Kano show Shao Kahn and his, their army how to use weapons was a focused, concentrated attempt to make them important, to get them, to get players invested in them again. Because Kung Lao and Liu Kang, their stories were pretty much the same. Yeah. I, I kind of it, felt that they were really trying, that they knew that they maybe didn't live up to the potential that these characters had. Yeah, I mean, like like I said, I think, I think Sonya Kano and Jax specifically fit the environment of MK3 better than they do a lot of other games. They do. But I also think, like, story-wise, they did a lot for them to make them fit. Like, Kano joining Shao Kahn was a good idea, and it did a lot for his character, and it honestly did even more for his character in Deadly Alliance. Like... Kano was a relevant character in Deadly Alliance. I think the 3D arrow was actually a little kinder to Kano than it was to Sonya overall. No, I gave him shit to do. He became a general. Yeah. Sonya Sonya did not get to do very much. Yeah, Sonya much. just continued to be the army person who does army things. Like, after MK3, where that part of her, the army part, kind of starts stepping up and taking charge and talking about being prepared and after the invasion's done and dealt with her and Jack's forming the OIA yeah that that's that 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 moment to me kind of marks the last time she ever really evolved in any way shape or form that, yeah and that, that's, that's, that's the interesting stops. thing because Jax doesn't have the problem nope and I know not. exactly why that is so so like in terms of keeping the special forces characters relevant to the big plot about Outworld and everything. MK3, again, did a lot for them with the whole... They weren't after the Black Dragon in MK3. They were like, Shao Kahn is going to invade. They told their superiors, 
Their superiors are like, we don't believe in voodoo. <laughs> Fuck off. We're cutting your funding. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, then the invasion happens, and the heroes save the world, and when everything is sort of restored back to normal, the government is like, alright, we were wrong, you were right, here's all the funding you need to start your own agency. And at that point, the OIA should have always been, like, the big focus. And in Jax's storylines, it is. Yep. The problem with Sonya is that in MK4, she went right back to hunting black dragons. Yep. The problem is Jarek. <laughs> I'm gonna... Just before we move into MK4, I'll also point out that at no point during MK3's storyline here, because we've just established, this is about Sonya and Jax getting ready and fighting the invasion, and this is about Kano being part of that invasion. Right. They are both in the same game, and they have nothing to do with each other in terms of MK3 until Deathly yeah, Alliance like... tells us years after the fact that they ran into each other at the rooftop or the bell tower and had that it was fight. The was it the rooftop? Yeah, it was the rooftop. That was it. Was it. De it was definitely the rooftop. It was the rooftop, you're right. And so yeah, that ends with Kano nearly beating her, grabbing her by her hair to finish her off, and then she just kind of like grabs him in a leg splits and sends him over the edge of the rooftop with a lock of her hair still in her hand ripped out of her head. Which she manages to keep a hold of when he hits a car or something 30 stories down below. And manages yeah. to survive because Mataro saves his life. Yeah. So, I wasn't and sick that's... of Kano and Sonya in MK3. Because they had nothing to, do with, nothing to do with each other. Yeah, that is, that is the interesting thing. Like, there is... There's the one shot in the attract mode screens that... And it's pure backstory. It just says, Sonya and Jax try to catch Kano at the end of the second tournament, but he ran away. He's in Outworld. And that's really the only mention of Sonya and Kano at the same time in the whole of MK3. Like, she's busy with Shao Kahn shit, and he's busy with Shao Kahn shit. They're both not interested in each other right now. You can assume that part of her reason for going in is to, yeah, sure, bad the guy if she can, but the entire world is being invaded killed everyone's soul sucked out of them she's got bigger fish to fry yeah and it's like thematically i am glad that in deadly alliance they said oh they did have a final climactic battle during mk3 like they settled it yeah or at least in sonya's mind they settled it because after she throws him off the roof sonya thinks kano is dead for many years so she's actually done with him kano kept that lock of hair and wears it as a necklace He's still holding on to the grudge. but Best chance he gets. So, like, that's that's what's interesting to me. In Deadly Alliance, Kano is still trying, is still, like, looking forward to another shot at Sonya, and Sonya doesn't even know he's alive. I mean, why would she? She found a substitute. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody knows Kano is alive on Earthrealm. Like, that was... <laughs> That was always the interesting thing to me about, like, the old timeline version of the Black Dragon, is that Kano basically abandoned them to go to MK1, and they haven't seen him since. And that's why the Black Dragon dies by MK4. Like, they're not supposed to be a relevant faction. But then the, old, the new timeline comes along and is like, hey, how about some more Black Dragon? How about if they don't go extinct this time? And I'm like, 
How about no? <laughs> it's also just funnier to have Jarek wandering around in denial about the fact. We still alive! <laughs> the Black Dragon live on! No, they... You're the last one, Jarek! <laughs> Poor bastard. But yeah. So MK4 gives us Sonya versus Jarek. And no one care. Not no even one. a little bit. No. I mean, the... they, they tried. They tried to do one little twist with it, where when Shinnok's invasion starts, instead of doing what Kano did in joining the bad guys, Jarek actually works with Raiden's side. See, this this is food for the Jarek retrospective. This is interesting material. We're going to have quite a bit to talk about when we get to that <laughs> yeah. guy. Yeah. But it's just... But... The, the interesting... The most interesting thing that Sonya does during all of the MK4 period is her and Jack's finding Cyrax and restoring him to partial humanity. The most interesting part of Sonya's story, and it's, like, not even her own. Yeah. And so, like... Then there's the three endings. So, so basically, Sonya, Jarek, and Jax share the same arcade mode ending, except it's oh, a three-parter, and each character gives you a little bit more footage. Now, here's how it goes. Okay, In yes. Sonya's ending, I know we're going with Jarek this. tries to tackle her off a cliff, she dodges, and he falls off the cliff. In Jarek's ending, just as Sonya's about to walk away, it's like, surprise, Jarek caught the ledge at the last second, he grabs her by the foot and pulls her off the cliff. He survives and she's dead. And then in Jax's ending, after Jarek starts to walk away, Jax walks in, grabs him by the throat, and drops him off the cliff. So, in the full version, the Jax version, Sonya and Jarek both die, except... That's not what happens canonically. Because Jarek survives the fall. Well, well, here's the weird thing about it. In canon, according to Jarek's Armageddon bio, none of these three endings is quite what happened. <laughs> what actually happened is somehow Sonya's not dead, but Jarek was still thrown off the cliff by that's, Jax. That's exactly <laughs> it. Now, I assume that Following the series of clusterfucks, she also grabbed onto a ledge, and she's fine. <laughs> Perhaps. That's exactly where I'm going with this, because I'm just hearing the Benny Hill music in my head whenever I replay it in my mind, <laughs> and it could have gone nowhere else that day. Like, I was envisioning a completely different scenario where Jax is just a dick and drops him off a cliff for no reason. Your version makes a lot more sense, but the whole thing is just so stupid and unforgettable that I don't want to dismiss it from my personal headcanon. I can't do it. I like I like how the Armageddon bio also, like, has Jarek so, like, mad about it. He's like, it was police brutality! Like, he's real hung up on the word brutality. <laughs> because, that you know, that was one of the last things he accused Jackson before he went over. <laughs> you can't do it. It's brutality. <laughs> Wrong, Jarek. This is not a brutality. This is a fatality. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Next five years is in a fucking it's in a fucking cave. It was so brutality. So was. <laughs> anyway, it's not illegal. You're not allowed to do that. I surrendered. <laughs> I'll get you, Jax. It's gonna you be fun. You want a fatality? I'll show you a fatality. It's... I'll show you all the fatalities. <laughs> 
god. That's exactly it. Oh my god. Stupid. I'm starting to love Jarek. What's happening? What's happening to me? Oh god. Becoming disgusting Sonya, preparing for disappointment, going by one, and I'm finding love for Jarek. Yeah. Shit's fucking going on. Okay, so let's flash forward a little bit. So, MK4 comes and goes. Sonya's still in love by the end of it. She's still stuck in the special... She's still part of the special forces. Yeah, like, she's she's in the OIA and the special forces. That's a weird relationship. I've never quite gotten how, like, the two organizations... Is the OIA part of the special forces? That's that's how I've looked at it. It's, It's a branch. It's an executive branch over over which Jax probably has jurisdiction. Like I don't know. If it's like if you said the Navy SEALs formed the FBI, so the FBI is part of the Navy SEALs. That's what it sounds like to me. And it, it doesn't make sense. No, I get it. The way I look at it is they're just the special forces in the MK world are this crack team that takes out threats before they can get big. And the OIA is the, the other is thing the is like, division. That's dedicated with the OIA, to with the OIA, because it's not like if it's not the army, you can have members who aren't like military rank. Like Kenshi hasn't been through boot camp. Cyrax does not have a rank. <laughs> I think that they specify in uh, her MK3 ending or Jax's MK3 ending that it's like it's it's about learning how to use portals too through science yeah, rather like than magic. They it's have a, they have a science division that Jax leads. It's about research. It's not just about uh, technology. It's not just about confrontation and, and fighting shit. It's about research. Yeah, like and and you see that you see that in Deadly Alliance too. Like their whole thing is mostly like just keeping tabs and preparing. So they send like spies out like yeah. Cyrax and Kenshi are just spies they've sent to Outworld. Hey, let us know what's going on over there. So I guess Deadly Alliance rolls around. The time of Deadly yeah. Alliance. And and to be fair to Sonya, like, she's not actively after a black dragon in that game. No, like, she she shows story, up. A her long story in that game is actually kind of Jax's story from MK2, because the whole thing is that Cyrax and Kenshi are both lost in Outworld because, like, they lost communication with Cyrax because of the Reptile and Natara plot, his comms got damaged and he can't, like, radio for help. So they're like, so they send Kenshi after Cyrax. And then they lose contact with Kenshi because he goes rogue trying to kill Shang Tsung. <laughs> Fucking guy's undependable. So, so then Su Hao and the Red Dragons blow up their portal tech. So Sony's like, well, now two of our guys are stranded in Outworld. And then Raiden comes to her and he's like, I need help with the Deadly Alliance. And she's like, cool, I'll come along, because then I can rescue my guys from Outworld. Mm-hmm. She's trying to rescue people from Outworld the way Jax was trying to rescue her in MK2. But there is, like you've pointed out, also kind of this personal angle to it, because once once Raiden tells them that uh, Liu Kang's dead, yeah. you know, she starts using the flying kick. <laughs> there is that. So assuming Assuming we can take anything lore-wise from the flying kick and it wasn't just lazy developing. I think there was a concentrated effort there to have Katana and Kung Lao and Sonya, probably to some extent even Johnny himself there, out to like pay back the people who murdered their friend. It's understated, but it's definitely there. 
I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure that was like motivationally. I'm just wondering if the kick was on purpose. Part of that. I, I'd like to think it is. I mean, Raiden using a shoulder tackle is one thing. I think that they were just in that case really inhibited by the constraints of their engine. There are other things that they could have given Sonya. They could have given her a rushing punch or a variation on the square wave, hello again. But they chose to give her the flying kick. I, I like to think it's not coincidence. Well, let me... Let me check a thought I've just had, because I... What... Did Sonya have other moves in Deadly Alliance, or was that it? <laughs> she had the flying kick, she had... She had the, the dust, the, she had the, the pink the dust, dust, and the flying kick, and that was her whole move set in Deadly Alliance. And she had a lot of... She had a, she, she had a lot of kicks, too. Some some quick kick combos. Yeah, she had, she had Taekwondo as her yeah. fighting style, was what that was. And sticks. Don't forget the sticks. Yeah. But, but special moves-wise, all she had was... Blowing dust in your eyes, which did not work on Kenshi because he's blind. <laughs> and the flying kick. <laughs> Still, I, I, I like to think it was done on purpose, by design. For something to be, something a little bit more than professional. It's a hint of it. I mean, I'll, I I'll accept it. I just, I just feel like maybe it's more of a coincidence or a happy accident. Maybe. But they didn't give her a shoulder charge. That's true. <laughs> There's a lot of that going around. But anyway, so she meets Frost and they hate each other. Hey, yeah, that's another weird thing going on there. It's just like, like Raiden just hear... is so busy recruiting people that he doesn't go to Sub Zero in person. He's like, "Hey, Sonya, can you do it for me?" <laughs> and it's like, is this the first time Sonya and Sub Zero have ever really been in the same room? <laughs> So, uh, your friend called me. Awkwardly looking at shoes. <laughs> Who the fuck are you? And they hit it off marvelously. Like, we... We fought together at MK3, remember? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, right, you... the yoga instructor, okay. <laughs> you had that thing with your dead brother and the friend who was a robot for some reason. We have one of those. Any relation? <laughs> I I bet Cyrex didn't even come up in conversation. <laughs> so that's where I put that thing. Can I have that back? <laughs> it's part of my clan, you know. No more, it ain't. <laughs> <laughs> Finders keepers, motherfucker. <laughs> These are fucking pogs. <laughs> All right. So, uh, but yeah, so cat fighting so noises. Sony goes to pick up Sub-Zero for the fight against the Deadly Alliance, and she meets Frost, and it's immediately like a cat fight scenario. Like, yeah. they just hate each other, as as women sometimes do. <laughs> because that's how women interact when you put two of them together and they're both territorial, right? That's how that works? Yes? <laughs> I almost thought that was really fucking weird. But whatever. I think I think it was just solely to illustrate that Frost is a bitch. That she would have reacted that way to any other person. It just it's happened just to be Sonya. Funny that it's Sonya. Okay, fair enough. Because it's another female. I bet it had something to do with the fact that, like, because Sonya is the character who doesn't put up with other people's bullshit. 
And Frost is basically 110% bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Fr Frost's entire arc in that game is that Sub-Zero is putting up with way too much of her bullshit. <laughs> oh, she's just, she's incredibly arrogant, snooty. In light of the fact that MKX, the comic, shows that Frost is participating in illegal underground death matches in cages, yeah, I wouldn't actually point... be surprised to, like, find out that, hey, this bitch has a criminal record. You're under arrest. Yeah, it's it's basically established at this point that Frost's backstory is, like, orphan who had a rough childhood. Like, grew up on the streets. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyhow, I so... don't believe that they actually do wind up meeting with Kenshi and Cyrax, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, no, no. like, that's... So that's the other weird thing about um, Sonya in Deadly Alliance, is that the first weird thing is that even though she's not hunting Kano, she still feels boring somehow. <laughs> and the second thing is that when, when Raiden's group gets to Outworld, all of them break off to do their own side missions, except Johnny and Sonya. They just kind of do nothing. Or do like, they? Like, you can say, you can say that Sonya was probably looking for Cyrax and Kenshi and just didn't find them. Because obviously Cyrax goes on his own adventure with Natara. He gets her the orb and she sends him back to Earthrealm. Kenshi, Meanwhile, gets, Kenshi, Kenshi gets his shit fucked up and... Yeah, he's attacking Shang's palace and Movado cuts him to shit and Sub-Zero rescues him. But... Sonya just kind of hangs yeah, around like, and she and Johnny guard the base until it's time for Quan Chi and Shang Tsung to eat everyone. Yeah, like my question is, did they even have a base? Like what did they cause I... cause okay, so Kung Lao and Katana go off to train with Bo Raicho. Yeah. Sub Zero is like I'm assuming that, like, when you take those dragonflies, like, to fly across Outworld to travel, like, only so many people can fit on them at a time. So that's why he got separated from the group, and him and Frost are riding one, and that's when she decides to turn on him. So he's like, fuck, now I have to divert to find a place to bury her. And that goes into the whole Cryomancer armor storyline. And that's why he doesn't even make it to the final fight with the Deadly Alliance, because he's busy burying Frost. I really bet they were wondering where the hell he went during their last moments. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of, like, bailed on them. <laughs> and they all died, so it's like, either he's very lucky, or they would have won that fight if he'd been there. <laughs> Ugh, fucking Frost messed everything up. Yeah. Anyhow, with but all yeah, the... Yeah, like, Johnny and Sonya just kind of hang out with Raiden and do nothing for however long it takes Kung Lao to learn a spinning kick. That's probably the contributing factor to why she comes off as boring. Because yeah. she's, she, she's got a lot of setup, but she's got no delivery. She gets there, then nothing, and then they all die. Yeah. And die heroically, really? They die to generic Tarkatans. Yep. Which is, it. like, it's the first time, and I think the only time in canon, that, like, named characters have died to just fucking henchmen. <laughs> that was, like, just outside the steps, right? Yeah, yeah, they were yeah. all, like, outside the steps of the fucking Shang's palace, and... 
There is uh, apocryphal evidence that Kung Lao and Kitana made it past the Tarkatans and were killed by Shang and Quan themselves. Yeah, that's somewhere on the notes I took. It's uh, it was it was based it was an assumption based on their Deadly Alliance conquest modes. That was that. It. Those are the last two fights either of them have in their own conquests. Doesn't necessarily confirm that that actually happened in Deception, though. It's sort of like how Taven wins Armageddon in Armageddon, but then MK9 retconned it to be Shao Kahn. I kind of figured that Raiden had to step in and be the last person. Yeah. You know? He was probably outside trying to help hold the Tarkatans at bay, because it was probably, it was probably all of them. Like, yeah, the, the yeah, notion like it, it was a big old horde. The notion of named characters getting offed actually by a Tarkat by a, a faceless horde is actually kind of a major subversion of a lot of tropes because that does not happen very often. Yeah, it it would it would have more impact if they weren't immediately resurrected. Yes, like there's that fifteen minutes later by Onaga, and that's like I I have often said that this is one of the worst like worst written parts of deception and that it makes it even worse when it happens again to more people in mk9 because if mk9 was just doing that that's bad enough the fact that it's repeating something that we've seen before and we knew it was bad the first time i'll give that them just demonstrates you not learning from your mistakes as a writer <laughs> i think that that it was just such a non-factor in terms of how the characters were portrayed that there wasn't really much of anything to learn from. Yeah, like it was just—it was just a way to keep them. Anything to say that they died and were resurrected? Why couldn't you have just said that they were knocked out and Onaga mind-controlled knocked-out people instead of having resurrection powers? Dramatic effect. Except it's—it's it's less dramatic. Like it's from just, game to game. I know. It's I just know. dumb. It doesn't really work the way they I guess they thought it would. It's a waste. Like, there's no there's no shock value in a death that lasts ten seconds and happened off screen, and it's like I was told they died after I already saw that Kitana is Onaga's bodyguard. <laughs> there's an older like, dash. That screenshot happened first, so that really takes the wind out of by the way, they died a little bit ago and were immediately resurrected sales. <laughs> There's an old adage, the death of one is a tragedy, and the death of thousands or millions is a statistic. And I just don't want to denigrate the actual thousands or millions or billions that have been lost to wars, to prove this point, but there's a reflection of that in the fact that you've murdered about five or six of our most long-standing and beloved characters and instantly brought them back, and it makes us feel nothing... Meanwhile, you can have a character like Melina get, get her head chopped off in MK2 by Katana, and then you bring her back, and then you string her along as maybe a servant to Shinnok, and you do things when a character dies and comes back. Yeah, That's like, what makes there, it interesting. So, there was... so, characters were resurrected quickly, but not as quickly. There was, like, there was still a build-up to it, because Melina's not in vanilla MK3. She's dead. And, and she's a hidden character in Ultimate. Yeah. At this point, so she's like, like been resurrected by Shinnok. 
Yeah, like the fact her, the fact of her death was still treated as at least some kind of delay in her return to the roster. She was out of commission for about a month or a couple. Yeah. Who knows? Whereas whereas okay, like Katana, Johnny, Sonia Jackson, Kung Lao aren't on the Deception roster, but they are constantly being seen in the background, like Sonya and Kano were in MK2. Yeah, they're just wandering around. Their deaths have no and impact also, because they die, they get the same day, and then they do nothing. Then they're zombies. And, I mean, Jax and Katana are on the PSP version of Deception's roster. Yes. But who really played the PSP version, you know? Well... Katana's unchained ending is worth bringing about when we yeah, get to her. Yeah, there's stuff there. But actually, Jax's ending is the weirder one to me because it's trying to push some weird story about how he's like overcome with rage. Like dying and coming back gave him anger issues he can't control, so he just wigs out and beats Ognaga to death. And it and was... then that's never referenced again because obviously it's an uncanon ending. It was a time filler. That's all it was. Yeah, I guess. I just, I feel like that should have gone somewhere because Jax does have reasons for rage issues. If you look at, like, how he reacted to Su Hao blowing up the base in the previous game. No, he fucked him up! Rip that yeah, implant like, right out of his chest. Like, Jax is super mad in Deadly Alliance, so if that, like, if him being even madder in Deception had gone somewhere in Armageddon, maybe I'd give a shit, you know? <laughs> make the rage canonical to the character the but rage. uh but Johnny, Sonya and Kung Lao didn't really seem to care that they died and came back I guess for Johnny it was just another day at the office <laughs> he was just probably really bitter about it yeah he's like Did oh come on again again <laughs> son of a do you want to talk about it no it didn't happen. It never happened. We will never speak of this again. <laughs> I'm gonna go back and check on Cassie. <laughs> anyway. So, that's the story of them in Deception. And that gets resolved completely out of their hands. <laughs> yeah. And we come into Armageddon, and Sonya actually does have a little bit to do at the start of things. That's true. She gets to deal with the Tekkenen threat. Yeah. Yeah, that's... At the start of uh, Armageddon Conquest, Taven gets kidnapped by Sector and the Tekkenen. And when he wakes up on their ship, their ship is suddenly attacked by the... And this, this always was a little silly to me. Sonya calls it the Earthrealm Special Forces. As though there's suddenly one world government now. Or maybe like, there are special forces and branches. There's been some weird political shit happening on Earth behind the scenes that nobody <laughs> told us about for how many games? Maybe there are special forces branches in Adenia now, too. Who knows? Maybe it's like a UN thing. I don't know. Like, so, I got, like if the world was occasionally under attack from, like, extra-dimensional threats, and you knew there was this team over there that was like specialists at it. Maybe it would be worth it for the world to give those guys jurisdiction. Like S.H.I.E.L.D., like the Avengers, you yeah. know? I just feel like that probably should have come up at some point. And also, here's a weird thing that I noticed in the old timeline. 
Uh, Sonia was never promoted ever. She's still a lieutenant. <laughs> I, I understand that actually because she is very much the kind of person who would not take the promotion. She does not want the desk job. She wants no, to be like, out in the field. You could at least stop at Major like Jax did. He gets to be out in the field. Like, mm. I'm pretty sure lieutenants don't really get to be in charge of a lot of stuff. It Maybe would she... be worth it to have whatever rank means team leader, wouldn't it? Less paperwork? I don't know. It it feels more to me like they just forgot. <laughs> we know she's got a low tolerance for bullshit. Because there is, there is a reference in her Deadly Alliance ending about her making general, but that ending's not canon. Maybe like, it's that's those... what would have happened oh, no. if she'd rescued Kenshi and not died fighting the Deadly Alliance. I mean, it's possible that she's a general by the time we get there. Unless yeah, she identifies... the thing, like, her rank is never oh, no. actually mentioned, so she might have had promotions and we just don't know. Because, like, in Armageddon, they don't call her Lieutenant Blade. They just call her Sonya Blade. So who knows? It's but possible. But that is something, like, the new timeline did better. She actually does change ranks several times between MK9 and the end of X. So for Armageddon... So there's actually, like, a little bit of, um... There's a bit more to the Sonya fighting the Takunin thing that came out when Sonya got a bio on the website, which we've talked about before, how the game didn't ship with bios. They were released for some characters on the game's website afterward. And so what Sonya's bio says is that after the Tekunin's warship crashed, like the special forces shot it down and Taven got away, Sonya sent Jax to search the wreckage for survivors, and she lost contact with him. And then you find out in Jax's arcade ending, one of the few that isn't nonsense in the game? <laughs> <laughs> that Jax had been captured by Sector and turned into a sleeper agent. Places we never had opportunities to go. Yeah, yeah, it just... It never goes anywhere because it's Armageddon and everybody dies anyway. <laughs> oh, well. Still, I think there was a little bit of an attempt there. Also through to MKDC, if I'm remembering his ending right. For a little while, there was a focused attempt to make Jax's cybernetics a real part of his story. To talk a bit more yeah, about like... that blending of machine and man that he was going through. Well, in Versus DC, they specifically did it because all the endings were trying to make a character from one universe more like a reference to the Earth. And Jack, in Jax's case, he became Cyborg. Right. Um, but, like, so in Armageddon, so, so Jax goes missing, and that happens chronologically before the scene where Sonya um, attacks Taven in Arctica. You know, the scene where he's, yes. like, he's fighting a Yeti and she, like, headshots it, and that's when we see her pushing buttons on her wrist, and that's sort of the first in-canon acknowledgement that her rings are a, a gadget. Also the first acknowledgement of yetis. They're a thing. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, well, not just yetis, but, like, spiky demon yetis. <laughs> I don't know why this strikes me as so amusing, seeing all the other shit that we've seen, but it does. Point in fact, um, actually... 
is there anything else that Sonya does during Armageddon? Because I think that's it. No, that's pretty much it. And that concludes the first part of our Sonya Blade retrospective. Because this thing's huge, and we felt it very necessary to divvy it up into two parts. The second, focusing on the life and times of Miss Sonya Blade in the new timeline from MK9 through X, has been uploaded simultaneously to this one, and is available to peruse whenever you're ready. We know four to five hours is a lot to ask, so check it out at your leisure, and as always, thanks for tuning in.